Country Life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park Tillamore, your main supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. Worshaw.ie. And you're very welcome to Country Life tonight on Midlands 103. Claire O'Brien sitting in here for MJ. You possibly recognise the difference already. Uh, uh, and uh, obviously MJ usually here on a Wednesday night for Midlands 103's dedicated farming programme. Thanks to Roy for the music that always makes me want to reach for my leg warmers between 6 and 7 o'clock every Monday to Thursday on the 80s hour. And you'll catch him with more great music from 3 tomorrow to bring some sunshine into what looks like not being a terribly sunshiny day here in the Midlands. A little later on the programme, we will be continuing MJ's series with Ruth Kavanagh at True Fitness about healthy dinners that you can have on the farm and how to prepare some. And I would love to hear from you about your dinners. Wondering how many of you stuck to the um, the meat-free day today for Ash Wednesday. I'd also love to hear from pe- working women, particularly on farms, or the, the, the working outside the farm half of a partnership about how you manage it all in terms of dinners and work and all things that have to happen your suggestions and your recipes and your ideas and your conclusions to 083 30 10 103 the cost of inputs on Irish farms has increased to a frightening extent and fertiliser prices have tripled as you probably well know at this stage dairy farmers are expected to have an increased cost of four and a half cent a litre before increased costs like electricity even are taken into consideration and we will be talking to the IFA South Leinster Vice President about where we are now with costs on the farm I'll also be getting his reaction to Minister for Agriculture's decision to have only one cap meeting in this part of the country, a part of the country particularly impacted by the um, cap uh, plan that is uh, ahead of us. For now though um, Pippa Hackett if she is listening and we'd love to hear from her if she is, uh, came under significant pressure uh, because of the Green Party's part in a cap and a budget which some farmers in this region say is making more part-time farmers rather than um, Full-time farmers making it possible for people to keep um, themselves and possibly another person on the farm that would be more part-timers than full-time farmers. Well, the um, Department of Agriculture has decided it's going to crack down on inactive farmers. And to tell me a little bit more about what that might mean, I am joined on the line by Amy Ford, who is the acting news editor at the Irish Farmers Journal. Amy, you're welcome to the programme. Good evening, Claire. Tell us what an active and an inactive farmer is for the for the um, untrained deer, the unagriculturally trained deer. How long have you got? Um, <laughs> no, I suppose. Look, the the cap strategic plan. Farmers will be well aware. It's um it's coming out next year. The new cap is basically coming out next year for uh, from twenty twenty three to twenty twenty seven. And as part of this, um, farmers will have got letters in the last couple of days from the department uh, talking about a thing called an active farmer check and other bits around land eligibility and outlining uh, a few bits on the next cap. So currently, um, the department is is proposing that farmers who have a minimum stocking rate of point one five livestock units per hectare will be deemed active. So basically, the farmers are going to need to show that they are carrying out some sort of agricultural activity on the land that they're claiming for the basic uh, payment scheme. So if you're a tillage farmer, they may be asked to you know, provide evidence such as seed and fertiliser receipts to meet the active farmer criteria, while farmers without livestock or crops will be required to prove that they're doing something on their land. So that could be you know, uh, selling, selling silage or selling, cutting it for mm-hmm. silage and hay and then selling that on then. 
there, there are people who are going to be rubbing their eyes and scratching their ears and wondering if they're hearing you correctly. Uh, I hope not. I hope that was fairly clear, but no. in all seriousness, um, the, the farmers who are at risk of failing that check, they'll be notified in the first half of 22. Farmers who've been farming for years, you know, suckler farmers, sheep farmers, dairy farmers, tillage growers, whatever it is, um, you know, the vast majority are out there uh, are actively farming. They are carrying out a farm and they're just cracking down on farmers um, who are claiming payments but actually aren't aren't really farming at all. The numbers around that, Claire, if you ask me that now, I, I won't have a direct answer mm. for you. Um, but look, they are carrying out those active farmer checks uh, like livestock, uh, 0.15 livestock units per hectare is a, is a small um you know, amount to be keeping. I think a dairy cow is equivalent to one livestock unit. So, you know, it's less than that per hectare. And that's what will be deemed as active. Um, so that's where we are. And farmers will, will be um, notified if they, if they don't meet the criteria in the first half of this year. So I suppose there's, there's two ways of looking at that. And uh, one is to say, are you really active if you only have the equivalent of one cow over every 10 hectares, every eight hectares? Is that really what makes an active farmer? I you know I suppose because you know in in the last ten fifteen years what what farmers in in um, IFA and in other organisations have been looking for was more and more and more supports for the active farmer and their definition I think of an active farmer um, would be a bit more than this. Yeah, no doubt. And look, the the changes that are coming are big changes, and I suppose this is a, a crackdown so that you know. There isn't money, basically, in taxpayers' money, EU funds going uh, to farmers who aren't actually farming at all. Um, and I suppose that's really where they're coming from and that side of things. Um, in terms of payments, like I suppose the next cap is going to bring in a, a bit of a change then as well in terms of farmers will be allowed to include a certain amount of scrubland in their parcel. So from the 1st of January next year, the land eligibility rules would also change. So along with an active farmer check, we also have these land eligibility changes mm-hmm. and that will allow for an eligible parcel of land to contain features which are classified as beneficial to the climate, the environment, biodiversity and water quality. And so where the area of these features is actually less than 30% of the total parcel, that whole parcel then will be deemed eligible. So you've up to 30%, shall we say, of this type of scrubland or habitat land uh, that now can be included for payments then as well. So there's a lot of change going on. Would it be fair to say that the, that the changes are benefiting one half of the country more than they will benefit another half of the country? Uh, on these, on the active farmer check and, and the land eligibility and the scrub, I don't think so. I think a lot of farmers over the years, because of policy, would have taken out certain types of habitats or, or scrubland from their farms. And now they don't have to you know, keep taking this out in order to gain payments. They're actually going to get paid for that now already. Um, the issue where people might have issue, the issue where people people might find um, other parts of the country benefit or people lose out is around the whole issue of convergence and front loading of payments. Um, you mentioned uh, that the uh, cap meetings there at the start of the program, Claire, um, that there's only I think you said one in the Midlands, and I think that that's in Westmead, and there's one in Carlow. Um, but currently, the department seems to have avoided the rest of the eastern seaboard where their last round of cap meetings. You know, they came in for severe criticism from. Um, farmers who who are losing out due to convergence um, in in that those parts of the country. Yeah, and it seems is there any point you know from from what you're hearing and in in having these meetings at all? It would it would seem that cap is signed and done and dusted. What what changes can possibly happen? What benefit can a meeting bring? 
Yeah, so I suppose these are information meetings, so it's not, as far as I'm aware, it's not going to be the Ministers for Agriculture uh, that are going to be at these, unless they decide to turn up, obviously. It's going to be department staff, and it's about explaining the coming cap, explaining the changes in how your farm payments can change, explaining the new schemes. On the cap itself, it's gone to Europe for approval. Europe have yet to go through it, we'll say, and come back and give... um, you know what they if they want any changes to it so the current one you know it's not set in stone just yet it is gone to europe there's a strong likelihood a lot of it is going to go through i can't see you know the active farmer check changing um or that sort of things but in terms of certain schemes maybe that might be coming down the line in terms of eco schemes um they might be changing yet there's there's a it has to be approved yet but these information meetings are basically there to explain to farmers how things are going to change and what's going to change for them is there any likelihood, do you think, Amy, just thinking about the other big story that you have in the paper, off, which is obviously about Ukraine and Russia and the cost of exports and, you know, with, with 40 percent of Europe's um, grain coming from Ukraine. Is there any possibility that there could be a pause on signing off on the new cap um, because of the, the productivity requirements that are going to be, hap- be required in certain countries? maybe to to act as a backstop there? That's a good question. No one I don't know the answer to, but I would say that CAP plans, are like these plans are going to be needed. Uh, well, one is at the very least to secure, you know, farmer certain farmer income um, over the next seven or eight years, basically. Um, there's possibly probably from a crisis reserve fund or something like that where there could be funding um, taken out of that maybe to you know support those in Ukraine but in terms of production it's a very good question I don't know there was an emergency meeting of EU agriculture ministers today and the outcome of that yet I haven't heard um, but they discussed the whole feed fertilizer and uh, food kind of availability and cost issues I suppose that are going there in po- uh, as a result of the Russian invasion of Ukraine so it's hard to really answer that one straight and I, I know I've kind of skirted around it there but um, it's hard to know yeah, yeah. Um, and, and from your understanding of those meetings today, um, are, are, there, there, there is a genuine concern about food security in Europe now. Yeah, there would have to be. Look, uh, we all know that Ukraine is previously known as the breadbasket of Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ukraine and Russia, they have a massive impact on global agriculture and markets in terms of, you know, commodities and massively on European agriculture, which is no surprise given, you know, Europe's proximity um, to it. You know, Russia is the world's leading fertiliser exporter. They have in around 25% of global nitrogen exports, which is a massive chunk of nitrogen exports. And then there's Europe's energy dependency all at the same time and you know less fertilizer less grass you know that kind of thing uh, less crops less cereals dependent on availability obviously and, and yield and weather and everything else but if there's usually less of a key input on farms the 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 other end of that is that there's less of an output at the end and less to sell on then and and less um food basically now it hasn't got to that stage obviously yet um but the next couple of weeks and months ahead there it'll be really telling to see how how things pan out Okay, Amy, thanks a million for for talking to us this evening on um, Country Life. It's it's I imagine it's been one of the busiest weeks that you've had in a long time from a news point of view, looking and and, and engaging with the, the international end of stories. Yeah, it truly has. And I was only, we were putting the paper away today and, you know, there's a good few stories in the paper this week um, which mention Ukraine or are leading stories on pages where Ukraine is involved. Um, and I suppose it's only been the last couple of weeks, I suppose, that people have started to grasp that, 
um, you know, something that's very far away and a, I suppose the rarity of, of a war in today, like I suppose on, on Europe's doorstep as well, you know, we've really come to realise uh, how dependent we are on certain things. Like we heard about the gas pipeline that was going through Germany. You know, there's gas, there's nitrogen, um, you know, food in general, certain cereal exports, grain exports, animal feed. You know, there's a lot of things that we depend on, that Europe depends on, uh, for, on the Ukraine and Russia. And just the next couple of weeks now will be interesting to see how things pan out. Like in this week's Farmers Journal, we're revealing you know, on the fertiliser front, um, you know, a number of boats have been cancelled carrying fertiliser into Ireland and, and merchants are saying that farmers should, should buy now and that there might be issues come April. So, um, look, the next couple of weeks will tell a lot and um, it, there will be challenges ahead, no doubt. And I suppose, just, just when you mentioned that, merchants saying farmers to buy now, but farmers haven't been buying because the prices have been going up and I suppose people were waiting in in, in the hope that that. You know, I suppose before we before war was officially declared, that 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 wasn't going to be the case. You know that 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 there would be a way of of uh, increasing access to to fertilizer because it's been high for yeah. a long time. It has, yeah. It's it's really it's really shot up uh, in the last couple of months. It's been very high, or like six months alone, it's it's kept increasing. I think Uri in the main is is making nine hundred fifty euro a ton this week, or, or selling for that. Uh, that's what it's been sold at, um, which is you know an astronomical price. Um, a lot of farmers would have held off. Look, a lot of farmers in the Midlands, and I suppose further west and further north of the Midlands, you know, turnout dates are are further behind those in mm. parts of Munster and in parts of Leinster. So, um, you know, fertilizer hasn't been on the front of the brain really, I suppose. Um, and a lot, as you said, a lot of farmers have been holding off and to see what price come down, but I, I can't see price coming down um, much, if at all, to be honest. Um, that's the way things are, we're being told in the trade and the industry. Mm. And there's advice in the Six Farmers Journal then as well and how what you can do to de-risk the farm business, I suppose. Um, you know, do a fodder budget if, you, if you're a beef farmer, calculate on what silage you need for next winter. Draw up a plan about what's coming into the farm and what's going out at today's prices. You know, use strong prices at the minute. You know, strategically, things are in a good space for beef at the minute. Um, on the dairy front, you know, target targeting chemical nitrogen where, where if you have it already, targeted at fields that will give the best response, mm. such as fields that are recently reseeded. You know, if you've a lot of clover planted, um, you know, you don't need as much nitrogen there then because that clover is doing its job uh, in the soil. But plenty more advice there in the, in the farmer's journal this week. Yeah. And, and tough time, just you mentioned the tillage there, tough time to be a tillage farmer because you're really going to be making that decision. Are you going to invest now uh, and buy that fertiliser and sow those crops that maybe you thought you might not sow, given the fact that there may be a shortage um, of grain coming from the east? Yeah, so the the advice on the tillage front is to consider a crop choice that will make the best use of your land, your money and your inputs. And that's from Andy Doyle, our tillage editor mm-hmm. this week. Um, he's saying that autumn catch crops are seen as a lower risk than forage crops and they may work well for some farmers. I suppose, you know, you know, there's there's um potential there for, for livestock farmers and tillage farmers maybe to work together for tillage farmers to grow forage crops like forage rape, um, you know, or rape or kale hybrids. Um, you know, agree and to agree on stuff and maybe to work together. So, you know, there's plenty of advice uh, there this week. Um, but as I said, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of change coming possibly in the next few weeks and months ahead. Absolutely. Listen, thanks a million for that. Went on a bit longer than we'd expected, but it was interesting. Thank you so much. And uh, thanks for the time. That is Amy Ford. That is Amy Ford, who is the acting editor, uh, news editor of the Irish Farmers Journal. We will take a very quick 
break and we will back, be back, I think, with just a little update on some other agricultural news stories that are um, making the headlines. Oh eight three thirty ten one zero three is the text line here. The Midlands one zero three Lamb Brothers text line. If you'd like to get in touch with the program, Claire O'Brien sitting in this evening for MJ. Um, we'll be talking to IFA's Francie Gorman very shortly. But there was a couple of things I just felt kind of pulled together and came together in terms of news today, and really, but one of those things that we mentioned there with Amy, which is about food security, um, and. Just an interesting little pattern. I'm going back here to the 8th of February um, to the interview that Paul Brophy, IFA's former horticultural chair, he has he's, um, has um, moved on from that role now after four, nearly five years of, of working at it. He was one of the he is one of the country's largest growers of broccoli um, in the country. And they're the only one who is still in the job, I think, effectively at the moment. Um, But his issue, um, and it's one that's going to be affected even more, I think, as we go on with the cost of inputs and also with access to staff, um, is around the unwillingness of supermarkets to increase the price of Irish grown vegetables um, so that more and more people are giving up the business of growing vegetables. And he's been at that for more than 30 years. Um, And he was telling me earlier, I was chatting to him earlier on this afternoon um, about one person who has two sons off an agricultural college who was a former vegetable grower and who will harvest his final crop this year because he cannot make a living from it. And always we see this in terms of advertising all the time that vegetables and fruit are loss leaders in supermarkets and that if we think that somebody can make a living out of, you know, 49 or 50 cent for carrots or onions or whatever it is um, you know that is not going to be possible at the same time we have today Agriland reporting that agri-food exporters are being told to prepare for new UK import controls and this is the the reminder that the new the import control requirements will apply on a phased basis starting from July um, Charlie McConnell is reminding everybody who is involved in food production to contact their department, their local department to find out exactly what is required. Um, but it is going to be serious. It's going to have a massive impact on people and their um, ability to produce things that can be effectively exported to the UK. And um, he is reporting... Minister McConnell was saying that the the agri-food sector has been particularly resilient over the last couple of years, that the Brexit transition period ended over a year ago, um, which gave some people a time to make some of the significant adjustments that were required. But he says that the Irish agri-food exports to the UK um, have grown by 8.4% in recent times. But whether that is likely to continue to grow, given the circumstances we're in, is an entirely new thing uh, so food security probably an issue that we're having to deal with in the country um, in ways maybe that we, we hadn't thought about before considering how independent we think we are in terms of uh, what we can grow here on our great green fields um, how great we are at exporting and uh, as Amy was telling us how reliant we are on imports I'm going to take a very quick break and when we come back I'll be chatting to 
uh, Francie Gorman more about that issue of uh, inputs. And I'll also be asking him of why it is that the um, Minister for Agriculture is going to have only one of those meetings in the Midlands because frankly we all know it is not enough in an area that has been particularly badly affected by the proposed cap changes. We'll be back after the break. Country Life on Midlands 103 Brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park Tillamore Your main supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. Worshaw.ie and it's Claire O'Brien this evening doing a very poor impression of MJ Cleary, but with you this evening uh, until eight o'clock and MJ will be back in this seat between seven and eight for Midlands 103's dedicated farming programme next Wednesday evening. I'm joined on the line now by Francie Gorman, who is the South Leinster Vice President uh, for IFA. And IFA had a National Council, Council meeting yesterday in Killinard in County Leash. And one of the issues that was raised uh, by President Tim Cullinan was the huge and rising concern that is there about rocketing input prices and not just the price of inputs, but the availability of inputs. And he was calling on Charlie McConnell Oak to take charge of the situation. Francie Gorman, you're welcome to Country Life. Um, yeah, good evening, Claire, and thanks. Give us a sense from, from an on-the-ground perspective. Uh, I mean, we know that the fertiliser one is the big story that everybody, everybody is aware of, but there is much more to it than that. Can you give us a sense of, of what the big issues are? Yeah, I suppose even even with the conclusion of the of the of the cap negotiations at at national level uh, through from you know the information meetings last autumn, the the rising price of fertilizer was something that was on on, on nearly every farmer's lips uh, in particular. It's fed into you know a, a huge rise in diesel prices in the meantime as well, and I suppose. Uh, you know, from our perspective, we've been we've been highlighting this over the course of the last year, particularly if uh, in relation to you know the supports farmers receive from CAP, uh, we, the fact that those supports are now reducing will will impact on farmers' ability to cope with rising input costs. And you know, I suppose I look at it from my own perspective here. If I had a basic payment that I had 15 years ago. I would look at being able to cope with the input, the 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 increase in input costs that are coming down the tracks and that we've already endured. I'd be saying I'd be able to cope with them for a year or two a lot easier than I would than I would otherwise. And 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 we've been making that point consistently over the last twelve months, uh, but it really has come to a head in the last two to three months. And we had a presentation at council on uh, yesterday from our uh, farm business executive, Shane Whelan, they would have done uh, uh, a report to us uh, with Ty Buckley, our chief economist, on rising input costs. And I mean, if you look at just the CSO data alone, across the board, farm input costs just up to December, the year up to the end of December 21, have risen 20%. That's across the board. Fertiliser prices have trebled. Diesel has doubled. And uh, like the cost of doing business in this country from rising input costs to regulation is something that needs to be addressed in a huge way. We export 90% of our agricultural product uh, and we're a huge exporting country in in other goods as well and services. And for a country that wants to compete, you know, on global markets, we should be paying more attention to our input costs and the cost of doing business. I reference Bellevue, um, the way that was held up and, and there'll be a huge additional cost building that plant. And who will pay for that? It'll be Glambia dairy suppliers, milk suppliers, full stop. 
they will end up paying for it. And that's the sort of thing we were we were we were trying to, uh, you know, put focus on. But particularly input costs and the need for the Minister for Agriculture and the government to recognise this. There's a massive problem in the pig sector at the minute in terms of your 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 check to the factory now if you're a pig supplier will not cover the cost of feeding your pigs. No. Without without paying people who are working for you, covering your energy costs, your electricity bill, uh, and all other uh, costs associated with your business, if you if you get a check back from your, your your pig processor in the morning, it will not pay for the meal it took to feed those pigs. And that's a that's an extraordinary, um, uh, you know, situation to find ourselves in, and it's hugely hugely worrying for pig farmers. Poultry uh, poultry producers are, are are in the same position. Uh, and and in the horticultural sector, there's a there's a huge problem there um, with rising costs and the refusal of retailers to pass on even minimal price increases to farmers. You're talking about fifteen cent in a chicken and two cent in an egg that farmers were looking for to cover those costs. Um, you know, uh, along with uh, price increases needed to potato suppliers who have who have stock in store that they can't sell now. And I was talking to a, a potato supplier, um, a pro, a producer during the week, and he tells me his electricity bill is seven thousand euro a week. Wow! Now, large scale producer. So, like the cost, the cost of 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 producing food on farm has exploded in an extraordinary way in the last twelve months. And it's you know it's a consequence a lot of what's going on, and I think you referenced it earlier on in the Ukraine and our dependence. We decided we're going to become greener than green in Europe. But what we did was we outsourced our our energy supplies, we outsourced our requirement for fertilizer because they're not if you want to call it they don't they don't. It's not, not in my backyard, isn't it really? Yeah, the, the dirty the dirty side of our business is not in our it's not in our backyard. We'll outsource it to somebody else, and we'll be greener than green. It's good. It's just greenwashing of the highest order. And and there's a, there is a requirement on the European Union, and the governments in the European Union to see that we're at the very least able to produce enough uh, enough uh, produce a, a large percentage of our inputs within Europe and not be almost. Germany seventy percent dependent on Russia and the UK and for Ukraine for gas supplies. It's extraordinary when you when, when you when you when you hear those figures mm. put to you. So, like they're the sort of issues that that need to be addressed. But on the input, but the other cost, thing I'd were, say there, because because I was in I was in Germany last week and I took the train from Berlin to Hamburg, and what struck me in an extraordinary way, because that part of the country is very flat, was first of all hundreds and hundreds of wind turbines. Um, yeah. They're all over northern Germany, and they, you know, far in far greater abundance, far greater numbers than we have them here, and yet they are still so reliant on their gas. But the other thing that I noticed, um, you know, and it, and it was cold, and their winters are much colder than our winters, um, was all along the the train track, along the to, to this to the side of the train, um, and the field the fields. You know, again, we're, we're smallish, most of them, and, and quite flat. I was quite surprised by that. But really, the number of solar panels, they seem already in Germany to have been investing an awful lot more than we do. There were solar panels, solar farms all along the, well, the, the, Germany, the, the track. Germany, Germany, I suppose, were traditionally they were regarded as the paymasters of Europe. And if, if you look at what's happened, particularly on the cap side of the house over the, over the previous 20 years, a frozen budget um, uh, and that budget had to cope with enlargement in the European Union as well, so not not alone was it frozen 
it was spread an awful lot thinly over all the Eastern East Bloc countries that became European members. And what Germany did was, instead of continuing to pay into the cap and support farmers to produce uh, 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 food, uh, in, uh, you know, uh, be primary producers of food, they supported their farmers through, um, you know, paying them to produce renewable energy. But even still, uh, they have that requirement on natural gas coming from Ukraine and Europe and, and, and it leaves us in an extraordinary vulnerable position at the minute and there is a meeting I think an emergency meeting called of agricultural ministers um, to look at this situation I think in Brussels tomorrow or the next day and you know it would be hoping that um, well that they'll uh, look, at, look, at, look at the problem and find a better way of addressing it than they have up to now because what, 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 we've, what we've done over the course of the last 20 years is, is borderline reckless, leaving ourselves dependent on someone, you know, as a volatile leader as, as, as Vladimir Putin is uh, as leader in Russia. If you were getting ready now, Francie, to plough fields or to sow spring barley, would you do it? Well, to be fair, the forward prices for grain look extremely strong at the minute. And I, uh, you would. Most farmers will try and put their crops into the ground. Um, I'd say a lot of farmers have probably, in some shape or form, have, uh, you know, they've discussed with their merchants and their co-ops how they're going to purchase fertilizer often for the year. And there's no doubt that the fertilizer price is rocketed in a, in a, in a, in a like. There's a, a friend of mine above in Mead purchased a lorry load of fertilizer earlier on this year, and you know the price of that a lorry load of fertilizer went from. 9,360 euro last year to 21,000 uh, 21,500 euro this year and not alone that he had to pay for it up front but I'd say that at this stage a lot of fellas have you know uh, that will will have spoken to their co-ops about how they're going to uh, certainly the more ex- the more extensive uh, large scale growers will have will have will, will have spoken to their co-ops and merchants and how they're going to um you know, fertiliser crops this year. There's good advice out there from Chagas about, uh, you know, if you get your soil sampling done and and maybe for one year, uh, and it would be for one year only, you could minimise some of the inputs um, depending on what index your soil sample show up as. And it would be important to get advice in, in that respect. Um, a lot of the smaller suppliers will, will, a lot of the smaller growers will probably take a wait and see attitude to it. And um, mm. it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's, the witching hours are arriving for them now, but I think most farmers will try and stay. They'll try and stay doing what they're doing in some shape or form and cut back on inputs this year. But look, farmer prices for grain are very good. Farmer price, uh, milk price is very, very strong at the minute. Beef and lamb prices are very strong. So in, you would be hoping, um, you would be expecting that most farmers in, in in some shape or form will try and and still stay doing what they always did and. Um, uh, you know, it would be important, I think, for livestock farmers first and foremost to focus on making sure that they get a good crop of first cut, a good uh, crop of first cut silage in, and 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 see how the year uh, progresses after that. Yeah, um, we, we can all. I suppose the, the the one thing is that we're not in the UK where they're all you know dealing with awful issues in terms of pig farmers. There, horrendous stories uh, come from people who are having to to have animals slaughtered because they can't. Um, get them processed. No, we're, we're, we're not at that stage here yet and, and, and I don't expect we will be. No. Um, we do a good job in marketing our product in this country and getting to market. Uh, the problem is the price yeah. um, that pig farmers are, pig farmers would need 
borderline an extra 50 cent a kilo at the moment and and there's no prospect of that coming there's been a, a, a minimal aid package agreed by the Minister for Agriculture for pig farmers of I think 20,000 euro per pig farm in the country if you slaughter over 200 pigs for the smaller suppliers that's quite significant but if you're a if you're a a, a supplier of large number of pigs per week to your mm-hmm. processor it's it's minuscule so there's got to have to be a rescue package in some shape or form put in place for that sector and I think the horticulture sector as well, um, but particularly the pig and poultry sector. And that would be a combination of maybe cheap money uh, and direct supports. Um, and, uh, and pressure yeah. on the supermarkets to to pay reasonable prices, even if that comes at the expense of their profits. Can I ask you, finally, Francie, because I am wondering, we, there was only going to be one of the uh, CAP meetings happening in South Leinster, the region possibly most hard hit by CAP. Did you frighten them all away the last time? Is that why they won't come back here? Well, I I don't know, Claire. I mean, uh, when particularly when the CAP strategic plans were were when there was detail of it uh, leaked around the August bank holiday weekend and uh, uh, or around the October bank holiday weekend and the CAP information meetings were taking place in the marts in the South Inster area, there was huge anger um, at the direction CAP was going. And, and it's not South Leinster versus Connacht or Ulster or Munster. It's any active farmer who would have built up, you know, reasonably good entitlements over the course of his the, the previous you know, 20 years, they've been flattened out in a big way over the course of the last 15. Um, this is, just takes it to a new level. And so it's not just South Leinster. We happen to have probably more farmers affected in South Leinster than anywhere else. And, and, and But I wouldn't want it to be divisive between South Leinster and other areas or divisive between full and part-time. Some part-time farmers are, uh, you know, are more efficient and more intensive than a lot of full-time farmers. It's about how efficient and how hard you're driving your business and the supports needed to maintain it. And, and we do need to be able to maintain an efficient um, food production system in this country. And what this cap is doing is it's taking money from production um, and, and they're forcing farmers to comply with environmental measures out of their own pocket. And that's not good enough. And I expect, I, you know, if we get another meeting in South Leinster, I don't know if it's that important, but I do think the one that we will have, and that's why I, I said what I said uh, yesterday, it was to highlight how affected farmers in the South Inster area uh, in particular are uh, with this cap reform. And I'd expect that when the meeting takes place in Carlow, that the minister will continue to be, uh, you know, hear that message or his, 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 employee, his civil servants will continue to hear that message at, at that meeting. And, um, you know, we, we'll put our best foot forward on it anyway. Indeed. Francie, thanks for that. Um, comprehensive and well-informed as always. I really appreciate you taking the time this evening to no talk to us. Thank you. That is Francie Gorman, who is the IFA's South Leinster Vice President. We're going to take a break and when we come back, we're going to keep talking, would you believe it, about food. Country Life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park Tullamore, your main supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. Worshaw.ie. And you're welcome back to Country Life with me, Claire O'Brien, sitting in tonight for MJ Cleary. Ruth Kavanagh is with me on the line because Ruth has been, if you've been listening to the programme over the last number of weeks, you'll know that she is a qualified nutritionist here to talk to us tonight about healthy dinners. Ruth, what is a healthy dinner? Hi, Claire. Thanks very much for having me on the show. So when we talk about healthy dinners, what we mean by that is that it's a balanced dinner. 
So that would mean that a quarter of the plate should come from sources of com- complex carbohydrates, a remaining quarter to come from sources of protein, and the remaining half of the plate then to come from vegetables or salads. So sources of complex carbohydrates would include things like brown rice, brown pasta or potatoes. Sources of protein then would include things like lean meats like chicken, turkey, uh, poultry, fish. These would generally be the most popular sources. But other sources of protein also include things like lentils and beans like chickpeas, kidney beans, butter beans or mixed beans. And these are really a great source of protein and fibre, which can help us to feel fuller for longer. And these foods are really, really cheap. Like they cost less than a euro for a 400 gram can of your beans or your lentils. And they can be added to things like soups, stews, casseroles and even salads. So for anyone who isn't aware, because when we work a lot in the community, many people don't know what lentils are. They're delicious. They are, they're really, really tasty and you can find lentils and beans in the shop where the canned foods are usually stored. They're usually beside where the chopped tomatoes can be and you can buy them dried. Now, if you buy them dried, you'll need to soak them before you cook them, but you can buy them canned as well and they can be used straight away. You don't need to to soak them. And then, as I mentioned earlier, we should aim for half of the plate to come from a variety of vegetables or salads, so things like carrots, cabbage, broccoli, spinach, peppers, any type of vegetable is really, really uh, beneficial. The key there is variety. And then and the colours of co- the rainbow. Absolutely. Yeah, I mentioned that there um, a few weeks ago, aim to eat the rainbow. So um, absolutely. And then the last thing there on a kind of a healthy dinner would be when we're cooking to use oils such as rapeseed oil, olive oil or sunflower oil um, that they would be recommended to, to cook with. The French so don't could, use those. The French use lots of butter and they they, the mashed spuds are good with the butter. <laughs> You're telling us to stay away from those a bit. Well, look, we don't have to, exactly. We can reduce them. We don't need to keep away from them. You know, you can't beat, you know, nice butter in, in mashed potatoes. But it's just to be mindful, I suppose, of the amount. You know, are we adding in tablespoons or maybe could we add that, maybe change that to maybe like a teaspoon. So it's all everything in moderation um, as part of a healthy, balanced diet is what's recommended. So and if we put... Oh, no, no, sorry, I was just going to say um, one of the things that, that sh- we should probably have a better, healthier balance with is, is salt. Um, and I, I suppose during lockdown, I discovered that I was doing an awful lot more cooking at home than than eating out or than being out and about. And I discovered uh, recently at the airport that I had a bowl of soup. I, I, I texted my mother to tell her I said I felt as salted as a Christmas ham because I'd gotten out of the habit of using salt so much in cooking at home. And and the, the the processed it was clearly processed soup was so salty. I I had actually forgotten how salty some things were. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's actually really good that you notice that you weren't adding in the salt when you were cooking from home because sometimes we have that habit of adding salt at home. And like although salt in very small amounts is needed for our health, you know it's needed for things like maintaining our water balance, for healthy blood pressure, for our healthy muscles and nerves. But many people are eating double the amount of salt that our bodies actually need. And research shows that if there's too much salt in your diet, this can increase blood pressure levels, which can in turn increase your risk of heart attacks and stroke. 
And the Irish Heart Foundation did some research and they found that if everyone in Ireland reduced their salt intake by just half a teaspoon, so that's only three grams per day, that that would prevent approximately 900 deaths each year from stroke and heart attack. So it's really, really something that we should be mindful of. And we really don't need to be adding salt to foods because, as you mentioned earlier, Claire, there's already enough added to food by the manufacturers because it's used as a preservative. And um, so we really don't need to be adding, adding salt. What we could do instead would be to flavour our food by adding herbs, spices, pepper, garlic, chilli, or even juices from, say, lemon or lime. They would be really mm. good options there to season with. Um, you mentioned getting the water balance right. I, I suppose particularly if you're having a really busy day, um, yeah. if you're in and out of the house, probably you're having a glass of water every now and again. But if you're gone all day, unless you're very organised, you probably don't have uh, a water bottle in the back of the tractor that you're taking around with you or in the back of the Jeep. You know, if you're going out to work all the time, maybe you're more in, more in the habit of taking one. Farmers are not great for drinking water, in fairness. Yeah. Yeah, so what I would really recommend there would be to get a reusable water bottle and keep it in the tractor with you because if it's there, you will sip on it throughout the day. Um, And just when we're talking about hydration, it's so, so important for our physical and our mental health. So we need to be adequately hydrated because it aids digestion, it helps regulate our body temperature, promotes healthy skin. It does lots of things, but one of them is it improves our concentration and performance. So this would be really relevant to the farmers because fluid losses of just 5% body weight can decrease our capacity to work by about 30%. Wow. And this is this is huge. Like This can have a negative effect, effect then on our productivity and performance. So it really, really is important to drink fluids throughout the day. And this includes things like water. Now, some people might find it difficult to drink water. So what I would recommend then is adding like a no-added sugar squash to add flavour to it. Or you could even add some fruit with it. Yeah, um, a piece of lemon or something. I'm afraid yeah. we're really going to have to leave it there. Um, one of the things I suppose to mention is as well, it is Ash Wednesday. If you can give up the sugar in the tea or the coffee, it will really make a big, a big difference uh, to weight. I think particularly in the long term. I wish we had more time to to chat about this, and I wish we had time to talk about lentils in more details because. Um, there's one person in our house that loves lentils and it's me and I wish the other person did too. Um, but they're great and you can do them in so many ways. And um, But maybe some some night when I'm back on again, uh, we'll, we'll have you back on to talk about that in a bit more detail. In the meantime, Perfect. that was Ruth Kavanagh of True Fitness. Um, the Great Joe Cooney is here after the news at 8 o'clock. AJ, uh, MJ will be back next week. Take care. Good night.